<laughs> Is that great or what? Woo. Just a reminder, next Sunday's Time Change Sunday. For us at Northmont, that, that, that's actually a couple of things. One is, uh, don't forget to set your clock, otherwise you will be at second service instead of first service. Um, and the second thing is, uh, we have, we have synced the, this vision, this five-year vision that we have to impact 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus to, to time change Sunday. So next Sunday, there'll be a chance for you to, to report how God's been using you to impact other people with the grace of Jesus. Um, th- that may look lots of different ways, but next Sunday, you'll have a chance to just say, oh, you know what? God's been using me every week that, you know, it's this many people or whatever. The number, the number, um, it's not that critical, except that it gives us a chance to be accountable. And, um, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, we, oh, yeah, come on down. I, um, we're in this series called Taste It. Taste It. Taste It. Anybody smell anything? We have some fresh chocolate chip cookies. Fresh. Thank you, Kieskis. Um, uh, I need, I need two volunteers. <laughs> Who wants to volunteer? Sarah, come on up. One more. One more. Joffrey, come on up. You volunteered. All right. This is my friend, my friends, Sarah Shepard and Joffrey Beltran. Give it up for them. I want to give you guys an opportunity. Here we have all the ingredients to make chocolate chip cookies. Woo-hoo-hoo. We have mixed up batter, chocolate chip cookie dough, and fresh. They're warm out of the oven here. Um, What would, if you were to choose anything up here on the table to eat, what would you choose? That chocolate. (laughs) Means that you have to eat the whole, you have to eat the whole cup, the whole two cups. Okay. Um. Stick of butter. Raw? Oh, no. Uh, no, it's, they're raw eggs. You don't want a, the raw egg? Okay, I'll have a, have a cookie. You, you, have a cookie. Thank you. Joffrey, surely you would like some vanilla. <laughs> None of the stuff down there. You don't want some salt? You want the cookies. Take two. Take one for Don. That's all you need. Okay. Give it up for them. Give it up for them. We are going to come back to the chocolate chip cookies at the end of the message. So now your, your job is to think, how's that going to fit with this particular message? Uh, you can be thinking about that for the next uh, 25, 30 minutes or so. We're in this series called Taste It, where, um, where the challenge is for every, all you guys are wishing you were the volunteers right now, right? And they're wishing they had a glass of milk to eat with those cookies. Um, the, this, this series is a challenge to dive into God's word. Jeff talked about that already. Um, some of you I know are reading maybe through one of the gospels for the very first time, and that's incredibly cool. Some, I know some people are reading through the New Testament over the 90 days, um, straight through the New Testament, and that's incredibly cool. Some people are, are reading the Psalms and the Proverbs, jumping in and doing that. The, the goal is to be consistent in your reading, to do it every day. And some of you have taken this uh, triple dog there challenge, right, to go all the way through Scripture in 90 days. That's 
incredibly cool. Um, I, I know for me, I, I kind of, every week it's like, wow, this is just so good because I'm seeing stuff as, as I read through scripture in that short period of time that maybe I've never seen before. This week, you'll be reading Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and the first 50 Psalms if you're, if you're doing the 90-day double dog dare, triple dog dare challenge kind of thing. Um, and we're going to spend most of our time today uh, on the book of Job. Uh, we're going we're to get there in just a second. But what, let me just say this in terms of overview stuff. Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah are, are about the nation of Israel when they're captured and taken into captivity by, um, by Assyrian Babylon. And they come back to Jerusalem to come back into the promised land. So Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of, uh, about that, about how God worked through that process providentially to bring them back and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Great, great stuff that's there. Um, if you've been a part of North Point for a year or so, you'll remember a year ago we spent a, a whole series talking about the book of Esther. And uh, rereading through the book of Esther, well, that'll just light you up again to see God's hand in that book where he's not mentioned by name, but his fingerprints are everywhere. And then there's this book of Job, um, this, this, uh, this book that deals with the problem that we uh, struggle with over and over again. It's the problem of pain. It is how we make sense of the of this world with a God who is all-powerful and good, and yet pain and suffering, problems exist in the world. Um, if there's a God and he's all-powerful, how can he allow pain and suffering? That's the question for us, Right? That's, it's the million-dollar question. If God is good and all-powerful and evil exists, and it certainly does, God can't really be good and all-powerful, right? If he's good and all-powerful but pain exists, he can't really, uh, he can't really be good or all-powerful. If he's really good, he couldn't allow evil and pain and suffering and still be good. That, that, it seems like that would be a contradiction in his nature. And if he can't stop evil, pain, and suffering then he can't be all-powerful. That's, that's the tension, the dilemma. That's the, that's the thing that we're dealing with today. C.S. Lewis said, The problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith. That's why this message today is so critical. And understanding the book of Job is so powerful. Most people... Most people in our culture point to the problem of pain as the reason why they don't believe in God, right? They can look around and they can see the design of God in creation. They can, they can look and, t- and look at the complexity of our bodies. They can look at the complexity of the systems that we live in and say, boy, that points to a creator. But when they see pain and suffering, they say, I, I, can't, I can't believe in a God that would allow that to happen. That's that tension. So there, there are hard questions. Does God cause pain and suffering? Does God just allow pain and suffering? Is it possible to be grateful when you grieve, when you've lost someone? Can you experience peace when you've been punched in the face, either figuratively or literally? Uh, Is it possible to see past the pain and get perspective? Um, it's important for us to wrestle with this. Randy Elkhorn, in his book, If God is Good, wrote this. Most of us don't give focused thought to evil and suffering until we experience them. 
This forces us to formulate perspective on the fly. At a time when our thinking is muddled and we're exhausted and consumed by pressing issues, people who have been there will attest it is far better to think through suffering in advance. So we come into this book about the life of Job. Some say it's the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, We're not sure about who wrote it. We're not sure about when it was written. Um, But it's a part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Last week we talked about in the Hebrew Bible, there were three really kind of subdivisions. There there was the law, there were the prophets, and then there was the literature, the wisdom literature. Job's a part of that. Job is is the description of this interaction that happens between God and Satan in heaven and the life of one of God's servants, this guy named Job. If you've got your Bibles, take them out. Um, uh, it's going to be on screen. If you've got it on the app, open it up. Um, I'd, in, I'd encourage you, invite you to take out the Bibles from the back of the pew. We're going to read a long passage of Scripture today, longer than we usually do. We're going to read all of Job 1 and about half of Job 2 to just kind of get the setting. Um, dive into this story because you can't deal with the issue of the problem of pain and suffering without understanding this. Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays and then invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, maybe my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand, God, and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Okay, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself Don't lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels, and they made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, 
your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked will I depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job didn't sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. And he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, okay, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Uh, The thoughts I want to share from this um, I, I, I want to credit to Tim Keller. Uh, he's a, a pastor in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and, and his thoughts on this have shaped this message in a, in a clear way. I want to acknowledge that. Um, because for all of us, I think everybody who's here ha- has experienced some amount of suffering, some amount of pain, some, uh, some time in your life where, where you've thought, God, I don't get this. I don't get why I have to go through this. When we suffer, when we experience pain, um, the first question that we ask is, why? Why me? God, why are you allowing it? God, why are you not intervening in this? Let me, let me give you three responses, three things to, to think through as you wrestle with that question. The first is this. When you're struggling with that question, with the problem of pain, the first thing to do is to just avoid pat answers. You know, when, you, when you're struggling, when somebody that you love has died, when, when you've been in an accident, the last thing you want is for somebody to come in and just kind of run through platitudes that don't really mean anything at that point in time. In the case of Job, there, there are kind of two, there are two sets of pat answers that we, uh, that we deal with as we wrestle with the problem of pain. 
Um, the first is a, is a moralistic view that says, you know what, when we experience pain, this is the pat answer, when we experience pain, it's because of sin in our life, right? You've done something wrong, and so God is swacking you on the backside of the head, and it's to get your attention to draw yourself back to him. Now, sometimes, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes we do sin, and we reap the consequences of that, and, and we suffer as a result of that. But it's a pat answer to say that that's what happens in every situation. That's not what happened with Job. We think that bad things should happen to bad people, right? But that's not what always happens. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Uh, we, we think that if we're good, if we're serving God, if we're, if we're following him, we shouldn't get a disease. We shouldn't experience an auto accident. We shouldn't be the victim of a crime. We shouldn't lose our business. That's the moralistic view that says, you know what, when there's trouble, when there's struggles, when there's pain, it's your fault. The other pat answer is to, is to just take the perspective of the cynic and say, you know what, it doesn't matter. God's not really there. Life is just a crapshoot. Stuff happens, right? Um, God can't be in charge and, and let this stuff happen to good people. Um, so, so he's not really there. We're just going to exist through life. When we die, we're done. Who knows? The, cynic, the cynical view. Job tells us, the story of Job tells us that both of those perspectives are wrong and they're dead ends spiritually. Um, Satan's attack on Job is based on that moralistic view. Satan says to God, you know what? The reason that Job loves you is because he has all this good stuff. He's got, he's got all these animals. He's got this family that he loves. He's got all of this blessing. And if you take that away... He's not going to love you anymore. Uh, God's response contradicts what Satan says. Uh, that, that cynical view that says God is not in charge, um, God's response in Job 1 turns that on its head because God says, you know what, I'm still in charge. Yes, I'll let you attack Job, but only in these certain conditions. Chapter 1, he says, you can do anything that you want to all of his stuff, all of his family, all of that, but don't harm Job. God is the one who creates the guardrails for what Satan can do. In chapter 2, God says, you know what? You can attack him, but you can't take his life. God is still in charge in the story of Job. We can't accept the life of the cynic and say, you know what? God's, God's just there. He's not really doing anything. He doesn't really have any power. Understand that God hates suffering. God hates evil. God, um, God hates injustice. But he wants to allow Satan to have power to use those things so that Satan can defeat himself ultimately. The things that Satan wants to accomplish in Job's life to drive Job away from God, do they work? No. God allows him the freedom. Satan allows, God allows Satan the freedom to do those things so that it will thwart Satan's ultimate plan. When you struggle, when you're experiencing pain, when you're going through those, uh, that, that suffering, avoid pat answers. The second thing is this. Embrace being able to live without the answer. Understand that you don't need to know the why question as much as we want to. Understand that to, to demand of God that we understand the way God is working is crazy. Think about that. For we, his creation, to demand of God 
that we understand what he's doing, why would that make any sense at all in terms of this supreme being? Um, We read the first chapter and a half of Job. What happens after uh, the middle of Job 2 and goes until the end of chapter 37 is that Job has three friends that come in and talk to him. The, the cool thing about those friends is that for the first seven days, when Job is dealing with those boils on his body, he's just trying to scrape his skin to get some relief. For seven days, they sit with him and don't say a word. That's a, that, that, that was a good path. But everything that happens after that is not a good path. Because, because those friends come to Job and they say, it's, look, it's your fault. You have sinned. There is secret sin in your life somewhere. And that's why all this bad stuff has happened to you. And Job responds back to each of his friends and says, that's not true. That's not true. There is no secret sin in my life. Would that we could all say that, right? Um, Job says, that's not why this is happening. And, And so for the next 36 chapters, it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and, and, and Job finally, towards the end of it, he gets a little irritated with God and says, man, I wish I could go into God's presence and plead my case before God. And in, in chapter 38, it says this. This is the beginning of chapter 38 of Job. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and said, who is this that obscures my plans and wor- with words without knowledge? Brace yourself, Job, like a man. I will question you now and you answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions of the size of the world? Surely you know because you're so smart. And then for the next two chapters, God just really asked question after question to Job. He says, you know what, Job? Can you make the sunrise? Can you make it snow or hail? Can you create lightning, Job? Can you teach animals how to hunt their food? Job, have you ever been to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know what's there? Job, do you know what happens when you die? Job, can you make it light or dark? Can you make the wind blow? Can you make the constellations change? Talks about the bear in the sky, the stars, about Orion, the stars in the belt. God says, Job, if you're so smart, you tell me how all this works. And then you make it happen instead of me. Uh, chapter 39, he says, do you know when the mountain goat is going to give birth to her young? Do you know why the ostrich struts around the way that it does? Job, can you make the mane on a, on a horse? Can you create that? And God says, Job, act like a man and tell me your answers. How's Job respond? Job says, God, I'm way out of line. I don't have a clue. You're God, and I don't need to understand all this. We need, when we suffer, to embrace that we don't always have to know the answer, that we can live without the answer. Satan's attack against Job to God is that Job won't love God um, if all of the stuff is taken away. He says, that, he says to God, Job loves you because of all the stuff that he gets. Um, God says that's not true. But you, under, you understand what's at stake there? Any, anybody ever had some people at work or in the community become your friend because they think that they can use that friendship for their benefit? 
And then when they discover that they can't, they go away. That, that relationship is lost. They're using you to get to something else. That's, that's Satan's thought. If I want to get real personal, let, let me just say it this way. Ladies, have you ever been in a relationship and when the guy who was pursuing you realized that you weren't going to sleep with him, he took off? He didn't really love you for you. He loved you for what he thought he could experience with you. That's, that's Satan's attack. When we, when we exploit someone, when we manipulate someone based on that, that relationship, what happens is we ultimately die inside. You know what? When people use you, you get callous and hard, right? And when you use people, you get callous and hard. Um, we've got to begin to love God for who he is and not what he will do for us. That's hard. Because we live in this culture that says it's all about me. It's all about the stuff I have, the stuff that I get, the things that I want. We've got to begin to learn to love God simply for who he is without any expectation of anything in return. Do you understand that the only way for us to know that that's true in our lives, that we really do love God without any expectation of anything in return, is to suffer. It's to experience pain. There is, I, I, I think that there is nothing more beautiful than a couple who's been married for a whole bunch of years. And the one person is not responsive and the other person cares for them day in and day out. I, I saw it with my mom and dad. My mom had Alzheimer's. It uh, lasted, I don't know, about six, seven years. In the last couple of years, my dad took care of my mom in their home 24-7, all the time. I, it was horrible to watch. It was horrible to watch my mom decline. But was incre- I'm so grateful to have a front row seat to see my dad love my mom in that environment because he wasn't getting anything. You know, mom sometimes didn't know him. Mom, mom was treating him bad, but dad loved her in that process. The only way to know if you really love is to suffer. It's important for us. We've got to embrace the mystery of this God who loves us and allows us to suffer, to experience pain. If you build your life on things, on the things that you get from relationships, on the things that you get from God from, for, for serving him, if you build your life on things, suffering will destroy you. Because when it's gone, you'll be a mess. You'll be angry about everything if you build your life on things. If you build your life on a relationship with God, with the God of the universe, when you suffer, it will draw you closer to him. Because the things don't matter. The third thing as we deal with the problem of pain is to, is to anticipate the final answer. Um, Satan said, you know what? Uh, Satan says to us, um, uh, just a second. Um, Satan says to us that God doesn't really love us, right? That God is 
keeping us down. He's, keep, he's, he's, um, he's putting us in a place that we don't really experience joy. We don't experience all that the world has to offer. Um, that was Satan's lie in the garden, right, to Adam and Eve. It was Satan's attack to God of Job. God, God doesn't really love you. How, how could God really love you and have you experience all that? Here, here's, here's something that's just so important for us to get a hold of. When Satan said bad things about Job to God, when, when, when Satan said, you know what, Job, Job doesn't really love you. He only loves you because of the good stuff. When Satan said bad things about Job to God, things that, that were partially true, right? Because Job did love God at some level. When you read through the rest of the book, there, there were things that, that he said, God, I don't get this because he, he had some expectation that God would take care of him. They, they were partially true. But when Satan said bad things about Job to God, God didn't believe Satan. Now, here's the kicker. When Satan says stuff to us about God that aren't true at all, we believe him, right? Satan says to us, Satan said in the garden, he said, you know what? God doesn't really, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. God didn't really say that. And so Satan used falsehood about God and Eve and Adam believed him. Satan does the same thing with us. He tells us things that aren't true about God, and we accept them, even though when, when, um, when, uh, when Satan says stuff to us about God, God believes the best in us. He wants what's best for us. We, we think, we hear, you know what, if I give myself completely to God, he's going to disappoint me. He will not take care of me. If I give myself completely to God, he will crush me. I can't really trust him. I can trust my bank account. I can trust my stuff. I can trust my job. I can trust, I know better for me. I, I know better, I know what's better for me than what God does. I, we hear that voice from Satan saying, God doesn't really love you. We know that it's not true and yet we still believe it. I, I, I know that because, just in terms of being transparent, I, I, I struggle with that. I know that God loves me, and I tell you consistently, God loves you. I, I know that that's true. But when people attack me, when people say bad things about me, I think what they th- say counts more than what God says. Anybody relate to that? that, that it doesn't make any sense, but that's the way that we live. We've got, to, we've got to begin to trust God with what he says. Keller, Keller said, I love this imagery. Keller said, what God thinks of me, I hear on audio. I listen to. What people say to me, what people say about me, I see on video. It's a lot more vivid. It's a lot more alive. But what God says is what's true. Oftentimes, we can't handle suffering because we don't really believe that God loves us and that we can trust him, that what he wants is best for us. We've got got to anticipate the final answer 
we know that there is an ultimate end that's good, and we know it because of Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and he didn't receive anything from God for his love for him. Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, said, God, help me, take this away. And you know what Jesus heard in response? Silence in the garden. God didn't make a way for him, an alternate path. God didn't say it's going to be okay. Jesus was met with silence. And in that suffering, his, his, the expression of his love to God was fulfilled in a way that ultimately saved us completely. Jesus died crying out in suffering, asking the question, why? There were no answers Jesus served God for no reason except for the love of the Father. We can know that there's a greater reason to our suffering than what we experience right now. Satan, don't miss this, Satan is, uh, he's a thief and a robber. He came to steal and kill and destroy. In Job 1, in the Hebrew, it uh, the, the word for Satan is the chief accuser. He's the one who's all the time saying, God doesn't really love you. He, God, God can't really take care of you. Um, this problem of pain is all about our perspective on things. You know, don't give, don't give pat answers. Don't feel like you have to have the answers in the immediate and look to the future to know that there's going to be a, a, an answer that we understand at some point in the future. Um, when, uh, when our uh, older son, when Josiah was, uh, was an infant, he had tons of ear infections in his ears. Um, many of you with your kids have experienced that. And I remember when he was about two years old, um, he, had had, he had been treated with antibiotics over and over and over again. And finally, the doc said, you know what? We need to put tubes in his ears. That's what we need to do. And, um, and I remember Deb said, you're the one who needs to go with him into the surgery. And I... Man, I remember going into the ER and holding this little guy. Him looking up at me as the anesthesia went onto his face and him screaming in terror at this place, the stuff that was going on, and him looking me in the eye. And, and it was like he was saying, Dad, what are you doing? How can you let me experience this? How did I, how did I let him experience it? Because I wanted him to hear when he was an adult. I wanted his ears to work. I didn't want that infection to come in and consume his body. I allowed him to suffer in the short term so that there could be an end that was good. You know, when I had Sarah and Joffrey come up, all this stuff, you know, who wants to eat butter by itself? Who wants, who wants to, you know, it's good to have a couple of chocolate chips, right? But to have a whole two cups of chocolate, that's crazy. Who wants to eat sugar or salt just by itself? Nobody. And we were having a conversation before first service, and Jackson said, I want the batter. You know what? The ba- the ba- <laughs> Any batter fans? The- batter's great. Batter's great. But if you only eat batter, you can get sick, right? Because of, of the whole raw eggs thing. How is it that this stuff gets here? It's only when it goes through the ringer 
and heat is applied. It's only when that oven gets turned up to 300 or 325 or 350, whatever it is, uh, when that heat gets turned on, I, I, you know, the ingredients, they don't have a life or a soul. But if they did, I think that they would be, the butter would be saying, no, turn that heat down. I'm going to lose everything I am. I'm going to lose all of my properties by that heat. The salt would be saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to lose my saltiness, the baking soda. I, I'm going to lose all of my individual properties in that heat in the oven. Don't put me there. But the end result is absolutely worth it. And they smell really, really good, let me just say, right now. It's interesting to me when you read through the book of Job that God never explains to Job why he went through what he did. He never explains to Job why he lost his 10 children, why he lost his fortune. Now, God restores him at the end. His fortune's better, bigger than it ever was. He has new kids. He enjoys his grandchildren and, and um, great-grandchildren. But God never explains himself to Job. Why did Job go through that? It was so this group of people in mid-Michigan in 2019 on the first Sunday in March would say, oh, that's why I suffer. That's why I suffer. And when we get to heaven, the people who will see Job and say, man, thank you. Thank you for going through that. Because it, it, it helped me see um, God in this picture. Well, we're going to close the service. We're going to sing a couple of songs this morning, not just one. And I, I want to invite you. Some of you I know today are carrying lots of stuff, uh, lots of hurt from pain and bad stuff that's happened to you. And some of you are angry with God over those things. It may be over the loss of a job. It may be over uh, uh, you had to move someplace. It may be over uh, somebody who died or, or physical stuff that's happened, disease, whatever it is. And you're, man, there's this place in you. This is not fair. I, I want to encourage you as we sing to come down front and just pray and say, God, I trust you. Some of you have never followed Jesus. And, and the obstacle has been this whole issue of the problem of faith. How, how can I serve God? How can I serve a God who lets bad stuff happen? How can I serve a God who lets my grandma die of cancer in my arms? You know what? I want to encourage you this morning to come down and to just say to Jesus, you know what? I've got a little bit of understanding and I want to love you in spite of anything that happens. I want to love you for who you are. And I want to give you control of my life. After the service, after, after we're done singing, man, come tell me if you do that. Uh, come tell your life group leader. Come tell one of the leaders here at church so that we can walk alongside with you as you begin to follow Jesus and make sense of this. Um, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. I invite you to come down and pray as we sing. Let's do it.